potentially the person who suffers less uh, finishes ahead of the person that suffers more. Um, do, do you agree uh, with 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 that potential impact of, of THC on ultra distance performance? I have a little bit different take. I mean, ultimately, I'd have to say yes, but I don't think the way it's being described is the way I would describe it or f- from an experience point of view. First of all, I have to back up one thing. I do not believe cannabis makes you take more risks. I think they've got that wrong. I think if you think about the stereotypical stoner driving his car down the road and he's going 20 miles an hour in a 50 zone, that's more likely to be the effect is one of caution, not one of risk taking. So I think they've got that all wrong. I also think that in terms of THC being a pain reliever, I think that's wrong too. And and if you don't use cannabis, you can't know this nuance. It, cannabis allows you some space in your head to sort of separate what you're going through physically. So almost like a slightly disassociative effect. So it's not that you don't feel the pain. It's not that you're not tired. It's that you have a little bit different perspective on it. And perhaps that pain isn't so overwhelming. And that's, I think, and and again, that's an advantage in, in running ultras or, or doing anything long distance. Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in lovely Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Nate Sanel joins the podcast this week. In a very real sense, this episode has been six years in the making and started as a group mountain bike ride in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont in 2017. Fast forward to the present day and the use of cannabis generally and in endurance sports specifically has become more common, but not necessarily better understood. Through personal experience as both an elite level ultra distance athlete and a highly educated user of cannabis, Nate provides an interesting and thought-provoking perspective on this once taboo subject. Now, it's important to note that all the information in this episode is for entertainment purposes only. Anyone interested in pursuing the use of cannabis should start by educating themselves and then having a discussion with their healthcare provider. Additionally, all users should be 21 years of age or older and have an informed understanding of the laws of their state, the laws in the countries in which they travel, policies of their employers, and rules governing their sport. Lastly, as Nate will point out, with regard to the effects of cannabis, everyone is a study of one. Now, with all that being said, here's Nate Sano. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? 
It has been a little while. Yeah. In fact, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a moment. Um, of course the, you know, the nice thing about social media is uh, we, we, we get a chance to kind of keep up with each other. Um, even if we don't have the, the opportunity to get together in person. Um, so that's, that, that's always, that's always helpful. Um, <laughs> as part of my, my show prep, uh, today, I was, uh, I like to peruse social media just to just to kind of get a, a sense for, you know, what people are into recently. And uh, as I was kind of going through not specifically your your social media presence, but your your ancillary social media presence. In other words, <laughs> what does that mean yeah, through through your business? OK, I, I ah. found something that I thought was kind of interesting and I, I want to ask you about it. But let me let me let me let me set it up this way. So uh, the, the famous philosopher uh, and outfielder for the San Francisco Giants in the 1980s and 90s, Chili Davis, once said, and it actually, I was sort of surprised that this quote is attributed to him. You and I both know this quote, but I didn't know it was attributed to Chili Davis. Chili Davis said, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. <laughs> I like. Now, that. I, was, I was reminded of that, that quote after watching uh, uh, a National Power Sports Distributors Facebook video uh, promoting the 2022 uh, Sunron Light BX. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. You'll You're close. Yeah, Sir <laughs> Sir Ron. Yeah. Sir Ron. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, my, I know which son, one you're talking about. <laughs> my son will, my son will laugh at me when he when he when he hears this because he's familiar with that, but I'm not. Um so in in that video, my, so my question is, um was that you doing a wheelie and uh jumping through the jumping through the frame in the background? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, I'm usually the guy that wheelie stuff through the showroom. I think I'm the only one that really I, I don't obviously nobody is supposed to be wheeling bikes through the showroom. <laughs> but uh yeah, that was a that was a really fun social media thing that we did. Um we have this thing called bike talk with Stan, and one of my guys every week does two or three unique bikes because we sell tons of used bikes. So we always have these really cool bikes. And we just do these 30-second, one-minute videos of on a particular bike. So we decided to do one on the uh, Suron, and I have one, and I love the Suron. It's like a small electric motorcycle that bicycle components fit on. So like all, uh, I've got a set of Fox 40 downhill forks on mine, and but it's an electric small motorcycle. It's kind of like a kind of like a big bicycle, um, and they are so much fun. So um, I used that opportunity to we set up a jump behind him, and so I wheeled through the frame, and then came and slid along and did a couple donuts and stuff. And the funny thing is, is that video went viral in India and we came in the next morning and we're like, what the hell is going on? Cause we had something like 400 emails from India wanting to know how much the price was. For some reason it went, it went viral in India. And that video now I think has over a million views in like a week or two weeks. It, it, it was pretty funny, but it's fun to do. That stuff is so much fun doing the social media creative stuff. Um, well, the, um, the, the listener, uh, is directed uh, to the uh, National Power Sports Distributors Facebook page to find that video uh, <laughs> because it is it is 100% uh, worth it. And I 
I actually knew the answer to the question that I asked you because I, in, in the comments in that video, uh, it, it, uh, somebody said something like, I think I know, I think I know who that was in the background and you kind of, <laughs> sort of sheepishly, uh, uh, replied to that. So that's super, super, super fun. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into in a moment, um, the connection, uh, that you have, um, uh, to, uh, to power sports. So, uh, so for the listener who doesn't know, uh, Nate Sandel. Nate, wh why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Well, um, it's hard to say my name is Nate Sandel. You just did. <laughs> uh, so, so I live in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and I founded National Power Sports Distributors about 20 years ago, um, selling vintage bikes on eBay. And the business has, has taken off. But um, the funny thing is, is the reason I wanted to own my own business is because I wanted to make sure that I could have a schedule that allowed me to do the sports and the exercise. Exercise is not really the word I use. It's it's more the things that I enjoy deeply. And so uh, I've set it up that, you know, usually I'll work in the morning if I work at all. I, the, the company stands alone right now. I have people that run it. Um, but I do go in and I, I, I love being there. But it's a priority of mine to be outside every single day. And at this point, it's usually on my mountain bike. Uh, for years, it was running. Well, when I ran, when I ran, I used to have to get my running done before work because I had to be at work all day. So I'd get up at four in the morning and run 20 miles, and then I'd go to work uh, and do the, the power sports thing. Um, but business has been great. I've got a great crew. We just opened another location in New York. And uh, Man, it's nothing but good. It's all good stuff. So, um, so for the for the regional listener, for the listener that's uh, that that's from the New England area, um, uh, the name Sanal uh, will be familiar to them. Uh, Sanal Auto Parts um, is a, is an iconic uh, brand here uh, in New England. Um, Nate, why don't you talk a little bit about your connection to Sanal Auto? Sure. Parts. So my grandfather started the company. Actually, my great grandfather started the company. It was a, a junkyard and they were, although now it's a derogatory term, they were known as rag pickers. He was a Russian Jew that immigrated over and um, somehow saw the wave coming in automobiles that somebody was going to need parts on these cars. You know, they wore out quick. And I've got old pictures of the old Sandal junkyard on the Merrimack River in Concord. It's really cool to see the cars that are there. But so my great-grandfather was a hard worker. My grandfather was a visionary and saw the fact that, uh, that, that auto parts was going to be a big business. And then my father and his brothers and sisters came in as the second generation, and they really grew the company. The company has over 50 locations. And uh, I never planned on being in the business at all. Uh, my parents divorced when I was young, so I wasn't really in that side of the family. Um, but later when I, uh, when I got married, I was a college dropout. I uh, just, school wasn't right for me. I, I turned pro snowboarding and stopped going to classes. Snowboarding was way more important to me than school was. Um, but later on when I, I met my now wife and realized that, you know, I can't work in a bicycle shop my whole life and support a family. Um, I, 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 called my dad and convinced him to let me come into the business. So I worked in the business for about seven or eight years before uh, I realized me and my dad were not compatible at all. And after a couple of jobs with some internet startups, that's when I started National Power Sports. 
Yeah. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. You, of yeah. course, uh, you, you, co- you, of course, built, uh, have built an incredibly successful business on your own. Um, let, let's for a moment, uh, Nate, let's talk a little bit uh, about how we know each other and kind of get the listener um, uh, into that side of the uh, of the formula here. So um, I think I think actually I I knew of you before I actually had a chance to meet you in person. We have we have any number of mutual friends. Yeah, we have a bunch of, of mutual friends. Yeah. Yep. And and as I'm sure you can appreciate the you know the endurance community. Um, while it's you know it, while it's a fairly extensive community, um, is um, you know it's it it's still sort of close knit. Um, and there, you know, everybody knows everybody through the seven degrees of separation. Yeah. Right? So, yep. um, but, but you and I are probably a little bit closer than that in terms of degrees of separation. Cause again, I can think of a, a handful of friends, uh, just for instance, Ryan Welts is yep. a friend of mine that comes to mind that probably, uh, initially Ryan was the one that uh, probably mentioned, uh, you to me, but I, but I actually didn't have a chance to meet you in person until, uh, July of 2017. Uh, another one of our mutual friends, Jim Graham organized a group, uh, uh, group mountain bike ride, uh, uh, up at kingdom trails in East Burke, Vermont, where you have, uh, you've got a camp, uh, up in that neck of the woods, Right. Um, right. And um, I so- consider it like my second home. I I, uh, I went to school at St. Johnsbury Academy right down the road from there. And uh, in throughout my life, there's been three separate times that I've moved up to St. Johnsbury. So I seem to bounce between the Northeast Kingdom and the Concord, New Hampshire area. And during that time that you and I went for that ride, I had been I was trying to, quote, retire. And I had ha- I had bought a house in St. Johnsbury and my daughter was going to the academy up there. Um, so I really feel like Burke, East Burke, uh, I've got a huge community of friends there. And I just, I love the area for so many different reasons, for the people, for the riding, uh, for the fresh air, for everything that's there. So I have a camp up in Wheelock, Vermont. That's pretty close to, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that, that was, it was, that was a great group ride. In fact, I, as I'm remembering correctly, uh, my wife and I and some friends, uh, we rented a house, uh, in East Burke, uh, that week. And we had been riding kingdom trails all week and then sort of, uh, um, uh, got together with Jim and, and, and you, uh, on this, on this group ride toward the end of our stay there. And, and, but, but really, of course it's, you know, it's challenging to have an in-depth conversation while you're actually riding yeah. bikes, particularly mountain bikes, because you got to really pay attention to what you're doing. Um, so, it, it, but it, so, so, so my opportunity to get to know you a little bit better was actually after the ride. Uh, we, uh, we went to, we went to Mike's Tiki bar. Yeah. That little, that little, One of my favorite places. That little, that little bar in the, uh, in the parking lot there uh, at East Burke, that, uh, that, that famous Mike's Tiki bar. Uh, and it was it was it was the conversation that you and I had there at Mike's Tiki Bar that really is the inspiration for this podcast. I, I never forgot that conversation. Um, and um, it, it, interestingly enough, sort of fast forward um, just a month or so ago, I was having a conversation with an athlete and uh, he happened to mention to me um, um, that um uh, he had recently uh, stopped using cannabis, uh, and uh, whatever reason, he sort of gave me the reasons. And it, it, it was what was interesting was that um, 
it was the first time that he had ever mentioned to me that he had been he had used or he was using cannabis, um, but felt felt the need to share with me that he had discontinued using it. <laughs> and then immediately I I sort of flash back to uh, to our conversation there at Mike's Tiki Bar. And I thought, you know what, there's a really important topic here to be discussed. And that's what I want to uh, discuss with you. But before I do that, let me ask you this. I still remember the beer that we drank, mostly because you were buying. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thank, thank you again. Um, so, and so you made the recommendation, right, for the craft beer that we were going to have. And, and I think at the time you, you claimed that it was from the best brewery in the universe, which after, after having the, those beers, I, I, I really I can't argue with you. Um, uh, and, and of course, it happened to be a, a Vermont-based brewery. Uh, do you remember the beers? Sure, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So, I do. It was a Hill Farmstead and you probably had either a Edward or a Susan because those are the two that they usually get there. And they're both uh, double IPAs. Uh, and I still defend to this day that Hill Farmstead makes the best beer in the world. Hmm. And I'm not the only one. There's I think I'm not sure if it was Beer Advocate or what what organization or magazine it was, but they have gotten like the best brewers in the world like seven or eight years in a row when you go there the uh, the awards all over the place are crazy um and i had not i had never liked ipas at all until i tried a hill farmstead and that's what converted me to understand oh this isn't it's you know it doesn't have to be just bitter uh, it's great beer it really um, is <clears throat> and there's a there's a story behind uh why some of their beers are named uh after people's first names yeah, I can't. I I think I've read it, but I can't recall what it is. Yeah, something. I, I think there's some connection to family members. I think I think the Edward or Susan. These are these are people that these are actual people's names yeah. from their family. So not all of their beers, but a number of their beers uh, are uh, um, are first person names, and they are actually members of this family. Um, well, uh, uh, again, I that. That opportunity to get a chance to uh, to chat with you uh, after mountain bike riding, and that conversation that we had um, was, uh, you know, I, I filed it away, and I thought at some <laughs> point that that conversation is going to be uh, important. Well, the environment was a little bit different back then as well. I mean, you're talking about 2017. That was a a year before legalization. Obviously, we're going to talk about cannabis, but you know, in, in that environment, I don't think there were a lot of people that were really comfortable just talking about it out in the open. I mean, it's only five years ago, but the environment's changed a lot since then. Yeah, for sure. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, and I and and I mean, and to that point, I think um, as as professional endurance coaches uh, and as race directors, I think we need to educate ourselves about cannabis because yeah. the truth is that. That uh, that the athletes that we coach are are using uh, these 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 substances and products, uh, and potentially um, as race directors, the participants in our events are 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 using these products too. And I, so I think it really I think it behooves us to um, uh, to have a better and deeper understanding of it. Well, I appreciate um, the fact that you're doing this too because. Um... I do think it's fairly misunderstood, and especially if you're not a user, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of uh, sort of narratives around it that I think you get a different story if you talk to people that actually um, enjoy cannabis and, yeah. and use it uh, as a tool uh, for training and, and, and with events. Uh, 100% that's the case. Um, <clears throat> 
course, and we'll 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 get into it a little bit. Um, you know, the the war on drugs uh, did nothing uh, to positively promote um, marijuana, for instance, or cannabis. Um, in fact, it that it, it likely set that back quite quite substantially. Um, and, uh, you know, I think as, 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 again, as we'll elucidate, um, it's only been recently, uh, that cannabis has begun to, uh, has, has, has become embraced, um, by, you know, state governments, um, and, um, uh, and, uh, and it is just, it, it is more widely used and, and widely available. Well, it's maybe at least more widely available. Yeah. Maybe I was just going to say that. Maybe I, been used I, the same. <laughs> I think it's been, it's been. <laughs> It's been in the back in the back shadows and alleys for a very long time. For and sure. I one I wonder, I mean, yeah, with it become there's plenty of people I know. I have no people in my family. So when it becomes legal, then I'll try it. You know what I mean? That they're very concerned, obviously, and rightfully so. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, Nate, let's, let's for a moment, let's, um, let's talk about your athletic credibility, right? Because I, um, as, as, as the listener will, uh, will learn here in just a moment, um, uh, you know, quite a bit about cannabis and particularly it's, um, uh, it's potential utility for endurance athletes, but let's, um, let's talk a little bit about your athletic background. Okay. As, as a, as a setup to that. Um, so you you have a pretty unique athletic background, actually, including things like BMX, pole vaulting, snowboarding, uh, road and off road motorcycle racing, and of course, ultra distance running that you talked about. Um, um, you know, it's <laughs> it's the old uh, one of these things is not like the other. So what, <laughs> what, what what's the story behind pole vaulting? Like that kind of jumps out at me. Uh, pole vaulting was just in high school. I was a BMX. I was still very deeply into BMX. And so, you know, typical team sports really didn't appeal to me. I'd, I'd always liked individual sports where, you know, you got as far as how hard you trained and how hard you worked and how hard you wanted it. It's really, you know, a competition of one and, um, pole vaulting just looked really cool. Like running around the track. I didn't, I didn't run back then. Not at all. I rode my bike and that's all I did. But I, I can't remember, maybe the pole vaulting coach or something recognized something, you know, saw me jumping my bike on the school grounds and said, look, if you can do that, you should try pole vaulting. And I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is the black sheep of track. This is cool as hell. <laughs> and the technique in it is there's a lot to it. I mean, it, it really involves a lot of strength, uh, you know, things like doing uh, wall push-ups, you know, um, uh, you know, up, uh, what am I trying handstand wall pushups yes. and things like that? Because the, the final move in a pole vault is, is a thrust and a push with your, with your, your, uh, upper arm It becomes your lower arm at that point. But anyways, it was, uh, it was a cool sport. I did. Okay. The, I ended up having, um, first time in my life, I, I experienced this, but at one of the practices, uh, deep in the year heading towards States, I qualified to States, uh, I broke a pole. And, uh, so, you know, when you think the poles are 16 feet long and you're sprinting as hard as you can, and you know, it's a, it's a commitment because as soon as you plant that pole and drive off of your leg, you're starting to go up in the air, but you're 16 feet away from the pad that you land in. So as you start on this arc, that's propelling you towards, you know, over the bar and towards that, that, uh, that pad, the pole snapped. So mid, so right, maybe I was, I don't know, seven, eight feet 
up in the air. Your legs are over your head. Your back, I mean, you got a picture, you know, you're laying, you know, in that, in that position with your legs over your head, starting to drive your legs up towards the top of the pole and the pole snapped. And what happened is you just stop your momentum and go flying through the air. And I remember I didn't even land on the pad. I landed on my back and my head, you know, in like the pit, what's, you know, in that area. And, uh, I didn't get hurt. But it messed with my head. What happened is I, I, I ended up running into this pattern where I, every time I tried to plant the pole, I could run through. But when it came time to plant and commit, my head was like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I, I don't want to end up on the back of my head on the ground again. And I had a really hard time. And it was uh, so I, I didn't know how to handle it. My coach didn't. No one know really how to get my head out of that space. I was very frustrated. And I ended up getting kicked off the track team. Uh, because, because I couldn't compete. And so it, it was, it was a, it was a hell of a lesson in how important your head is when you're dealing with sports. Uh, so I, I mean, that, that was my takeaway. I never did it after that. I mean, I, I know I had some successful vaults and I, I think I got third place at States or something. I did okay, but uh, it really was a, it was a heck of a lesson. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, it, so interesting connection there to be made. So, um, you know, fast forward, <coughs> fast forward a little bit and um, you get into uh, road uh, and off-road motorcycle racing, right? Yeah. Um, <coughs> not uh, obviously totally different from, from pole, pole vaulting, but, um, but, but there is, you know, I would imagine there is some level of commitment uh, necessary, uh, when you are racing motorcycles at speed. Um, and, um, did, did you ever, ever have an experience where maybe you laid a bike down, uh, uh, and, and crashed, uh, and, um, sort of had a, had a similar experience with, uh, needing to overcome fear. Um, yeah, uh, like, for like sure. Vaulting? Yeah. But I don't, it didn't, it, it didn't, it, I got over it, but I probably shouldn't have. Cause so road racing motorcycles is a pretty brutal sport. Um, and you crash all the time. If you're, if you're a front runner or you're pushing hard and as you're progressing through the ranks, you crash all the time. There's not a turn at Loudon that I haven't crashed multiple times, every single turn. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've never had any serious injuries. I mean, I'm sure I've had injuries from that, but the hardest thing for me is, um, I have three friends that have become paralyzed or I'm sorry, let me say it, three friends that have broken their necks road racing. And one of them is, uh, two of them, well, one of them's paralyzed and the other one is never was the same after breaking his neck. Um, and one of them was, uh, right next to me going up turn four at Loudon, which is an off camber right-hand turn. And he was trying to pass me on the outside and he high-sided and broke his neck. And when, you know, I mean, I'll never forget, you know, they red flagged the race. Obviously the guy's laying in the middle of the track and he can't move. I, I mean, honestly, it looked like he was dead. It was, it was, you know, and these are my friends, you know, he's a friend of mine. And then they bring you back around the start to line up and wait till the track's clear and you got to do it again. And he was right next to me. And I remember thinking at that start, I'm like, you know, I, I had one of my children already at that point, they were young. And I remember thinking, what, what am I doing? Like, I love road racing, but there's some pretty serious negative consequences of fate. It's not even just getting it wrong. It's just 
something that goes with that sport. So I think I continued racing modern bikes for maybe the rest of that year. And, uh, I stopped road racing, but then I came back to it later and raced vintage bikes, which is probably twice as dangerous because we're going almost as fast on 30 year old technology. But, <laughs> but yeah, for sure. These moments have happened in a lot of sports where you kind of go, this is something I love, but there's a lot of risk. Mm. Um, and of course I think, I, I think, I think perspectives change, uh, when you have a family and all of a sudden it's not just about you, but it's about, uh, it's about your ability to provide for your family. And, and uh, uh, of course being, being healthy and intact, uh, is an important, uh, element and variable of being able to provide for family. Um, well, again, fast forward again, uh, one of your, uh, one of your current passions is, uh, mountain bike enduro racing, right? So, yeah. uh, so I, I, I've had the, the good fortune to, uh, uh, to meet and to know um, a handful of, uh, of, of, of higher level uh, motocross racers, guys that uh, guys that uh, um, had a history of motocross racing. Um, and, uh, and I'm probably not saying that right. It's uh, it's uh, off-road motorcycle racing through the woods. That's not necessarily motocross, but that's a particular, that's a sport in and of itself. Point is. Yeah. It sounds uh, like enduro, enduro motorcycle racing, same kind of thing. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I've had a few friends who were, were into that, who, uh, sort of later in life. And I say later in life in their late thirties, early forties, got into mountain bike racing and they were phenomenal mountain bike racers. In other words, mm -hmm. <laughs> their, their technical ability on a mountain bike was just through the roof. Yep. Even if mountain bike racing was a relatively new sport for them because of their history, uh, racing motorcycles through the woods. Um, yeah, Nate, tell me, Tell me about that connection, uh, if you will, between uh, uh, racing your motorcycle through the woods and racing your mountain bike through the woods. Boy, it's almost exactly the same. It's just one one vehicle's heavier and a lot faster. Uh, and so you learn a lot of things racing uh, or riding dirt bikes in the woods um, that definitely translates to, you know, an enduro mountain bike type ride. Um <sighs> I mean, it really is the same thing. If, it, if I think mountain, I think motorcyclists sometimes have a hard time with how light the bicycle is. In other words, it feel you can feel your movements. They're more, they're more pronounced on a bicycle in the air. You can be a little bit sloppier on a dirt bike. The suspension is, is really good and you can, it's, it's unbelievable how fast you can go through things that you would think are going to kill you on a, uh, on a, on a motocross bike. And I think that that translates really well to, uh, being comfortable with the speed on a mountain bike. And, uh, you know, the, I, they're very, very similar. And I mean, we see it, we see it all the time that, uh, most people, my age, most people in the forties and fifties who are into one or the other have the other, like, mm. uh, I can't tell you how many motors, almost every one of my friends that races, uh, enduro bicycles also is into motorcycles uh, yeah. they they really translate and now there's a sort of a, a new thing emerging called uh, the surron that's that you mentioned from the ad that is another thing that we are selling both to mountain bikers and to motocross so it really does speak to the crossover between the two yeah um 
<clears throat> and just yeah, just for a moment, speak uh, speak speak a little bit about um, these uh, e-bikes or electric bikes. And they're not really electric bikes. It's sort of a it's a it's a major step up from electric yeah. bike. It's more like a motorcycle than it is an e-bike. Um, talk a little bit about trail access for these uh, for the for Surons. These, yeah, for these uh, a bike like a Suron, which is a basically it's a it's an electric motorcycle. Yeah. What, yep. Um, uh, what what are some of the what are some of the regulations? What are some of the limitations for uh, for trail users for people that want to take those bikes out on trails? Well, I think you have to treat it like a motorcycle. Uh, I don't think anybody should be taking a Suron on bicycle trails and ripping it up. I mean, they have a lot of torque. They do spin the rear wheel. They don't have the impact that a dirt bike has, but they have a lot more impact than a bicycle. Uh, I'm also into e-bikes as well. I have an intense that I I absolutely love my e-bike. I am not a hater. I love them. And, and, uh, uh, I don't find personally that e-bikes pedal assist mountain bikes, uh, really have almost any more impact on mountain bike trails. And I know people will argue with me that and I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to argue. I'm just from my personal experience. I don't think there's much difference on the Suron. You're, you would love like the ultimate thing would be to go to take the Suron on the trails at kingdom trails. It would be incredible, but you'd be a real jerk. I mean, that's, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I have places that I do ride mine that, uh, that it's okay where it's nothing's posted. They're not bicycle trails. Uh, you know, you've got to be, geez, you got to be a good steward for whatever sport you do. You can't, it's not just about you. Mm-hmm. And especially with a new emerging sport, it's really important I, I, I do read things all over the country where mountain bikers are starting to see people show up on the trails with these Surons. And, you know, the, the, the speeds of the Suron is considerably more than what should be on a, on a hiking trail or walking trail or, or mountain bike trail. And, uh, I just would urge anybody that does have a Suron or who's getting into it to just, let's not wreck the sport. Let's, let's find, I mean, and the cool thing is it's so easy to create. I, I made a little trail in my backyard. It doesn't take too much space to have a lot of fun with these things. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, well, there it's a, it's more motorcycle type trails is what these are better for. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think, um, at least where, where, where we are here in New Hampshire, class six roads, uh, these, uh, unmaintained town roads would seem to me the perfect place to, uh, to, to ride one of these, uh, one of these bikes. Um, <clears throat> quick follow-up question about uh, e-bikes and Kingdom Trails. What are what, what what are the what are the current rules or 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 restrictions as far as e-bikes uh, on the Kingdom Trails network? So they're not allowed unless you have uh, <clears throat> some sort of disability that uh, <clears throat> that you can re- require that you need an e-bike. And uh, from what I understand, it's a simple form or or, or uh, there's some process to go through with uh, with Kingdom Trails just to uh, verify uh, your condition or whatever the case is. But so you will see people who are allowed to use the e-bikes on the trails. Um, outside of that, they're not allowed on the Kenyan yeah. trails. Um, well, and, I, and you, you sort of, you, you make it, you sort of unintentionally make a really good point. I mean, you mentioned you have an e-bike, you, you know, you, you, you clearly don't have any obvious physical limitations, but there are people, um, who e-bikes have allowed them to get people with, uh, physical limitations in which, e-bikes have allowed them to get into the sport, which I think is a, I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, the more people, the more people we can bring into the sport, including people that maybe have physical limitations. Um, I don't see that as a negative. I actually see that, that as a positive. Now, maybe, maybe a place like kingdom trails, 
because it's so popular and so busy, doesn't necessarily need to expand uh, their 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 user pool. Um, but truth is that, uh, and and I wonder if you would agree that uh, that e-bikes have allowed people that otherwise you know were 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 sort of um, were kept out of the sport. E-bikes have allowed. Um, a, a whole new group of people to get into the sport of cycling. I, I, I instantly am thinking about one person in particular that I know who uh, has lost something like 80 pounds, started on an e-bike, fell in love with biking. And, you know, that's another, that's something that I think is a, a misconception that for, for people that have not ridden e-bikes, I get, I, I see a little bit of this attitude that <clears throat> e-bikes are for lazy people or e-bikes are people. And, and that is, nothing further from the truth. And, and when I hear somebody say that, I realize they've never ridden one because if you take an e-bike, first of all, the motor only works if you're pedaling. So it becomes kind of a different thing. It's a, you need a lot of handling skills to keep the motor working, keep your legs spinning and go up a technical trail. So uh, I, I can get every bit as worked on my e-bike as I do on my enduro bike. I'm just going to be riding faster when I do it. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun, which is, should be the first reason that anybody does something because it's fun and it's enjoyable, but it's a, it is a path for someone who might be a little bit too overweight to ride some hard trails, uh, at first, uh, it, it gives them a, an opportunity to enjoy the sport with us. And I, I think that's the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're all on a journey, right. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, if, if, if e-bikes, <clears throat> help to facilitate that journey for people, that journey uh, through fitness. I think that's a really good thing. Um, all right. So back to our conversation over craft beers at Mike's Tiki Bar. It was during this initial meeting, uh, Nate, uh, and conversation that you shared quite openly um, your use and support of cannabis. Do you, do you remember that conversation? I don't. I mean, I probably can guess at some of the things I said because I tend to uh, I tend to talk to people about it. Um, that's just my personality. You know, it's just, you know, here it is, whether you like it or not, I'm going to tell you what I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember the details, but I'm guessing I could, pro I could probably put them together pretty well. <laughs> well, I, I was, uh, I was struck by, uh, a, how passionate you were, uh, about this topic, uh, how knowledgeable, uh, you were about the topic, um, and how uh, willing and open you were uh, to share your feelings about that. Um, well, let's let's start this this discussion about about uh, cannabis, specifically with respect to athletic performance. Um, but but for housekeeping purposes, Nate, um, help 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 us, uh, myself and the listener, um, understand some of the sort of basic terminology, uh, some of the some of the terms that we might be using. Um, you know. Uh, Cannabis, marijuana, CBD, THC. THC. Can you can you can you can you talk and maybe define some of those terms? Yeah, I'll do us? my best. Well, I, I, the correct name for <laughs> marijuana or pot or whatever slang you want to use is cannabis, and and it's technically cannabis sativa. Um, and that's something else we talk about: sativa versus indica and the different types of strains, because that's an important part of the conversation. But the 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 component in cannabis that creates the effect the psychoactive effect is thc and i think it's tetrahydro i don't know i'm not i'm not a doctor i don't get me to pronounce things right tetra it's a, it's a long name yes but it's a cannabinoid and the interesting thing is is that our body has two receptors that uh that allow uh thc to plug in so 
we we also we produce cannabinoids endogenously so we create cannabinoids so, so we have a system that allows those <clears throat> chemicals to work and those receptors um and those receptors are what's sort of responsible for the feeling that you get when you 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 uh, ingest or smoke thc uh there's a lot of cannabinoids in cannabis uh, the ones that people know about are THC and CBD. CBD obviously has been very popular because CBD is a non-psychoactive component. Although I'll argue for some people, uh, CBD does have an effect. You can feel it. And some people report feeling quite altered on CBD. So a, a bit of caution, you know, CBD is legal. Uh, but, you know, taking a high dose of CBD when you're not used to it, you might feel like it doesn't sound bad, but like very relaxed, like in, in a way that's altered from what you normally are. So uh, CBD tends to be sort of like if we, if we generalize without being technical, it's sort of the component that, that adds some calmness. THC is the component that actually makes you feel altered. It alters your perception. And then there's a whole lot of nuance between how different strains of cannabis will affect you. And it used to be primarily defined as a sativa or indica. And the way people remember that is uh, indica means in the couch. Indica is, is the relaxing strain and sativa is the active strain. But it's not that simple because, again, there's a lot of different components to cannabis. So there are other components in cannabis that have an effect on its sleepiness or its stimulating effect. And, you know, that leads to the conversation when we're going to talk about uh, using these compounds in relationship to endurance sports, um, having a certain knowledge of which strains or which combinations of these cannabinoids uh, are going to be best for you for the situation that you, you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you're making a good point because it's uh, um, it's it's not just as simple as finding a cannabis specific product and using it there 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 are nuances to this um and i and, and I, I think there's a little bit more too that we should there's there's another big distinction that i don't think sometimes gets made enough especially with new users is there's different methods of using this and it's very important that you realize they're not the same our bodies treat <clears throat> smoking uh or vaping cannabis our bodies treat it very differently than ingesting it uh, it actually is converted to a different chemical when you ingest it, and it has slightly different effects. And, uh, you know, I, I one of the things that I caution people, just really caution them, is on edibles, they look very innocent. They're often in the shape of, you know, they em emulate candies, popular candies and things like that. And I, I think people forget that in that guise that this is a this is a drug. This is a, a a component that's going to alter your perception. And if you don't have experience uh, eating cannabis and using it that way, that you you really can get yourself into trouble and get very uncomfortable very quick. So uh, low doses of edibles is the way to start. Uh, as opposed to smoking it, which, of course, when you talk about smoking anything in endurance sports, that's a big conversation right there.
Yeah. And um, I want to get into a method of delivery. I want to get into uh, into pharmacokinetics, the uh, the you know, the onset uh, peak and duration um, of, of these of, of these different um, methods of use, too. So there's a, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And um, I think you have to add tolerance into that group of of uh, of of items as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that 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 clearly speaks to dosing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and the variability associated with with dosing. Um, all right, but 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 before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the um, the uh, the legality uh, of of cannabis and 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 and, and cannabis products. Um, you know, I. I mean, to say that, that cannabis has been has been mainstreamed uh, in the United States is a l- little bit of an understatement. I mean, there's there, there really has been a, a rise to prominence um, in terms of the, the legality uh, and um, and the, uh, the openness uh, of, of cannabis, you know, certainly in, in the last just handful of years. Um, you know, currently in the United States, it's probably easier to name the states in which cannabis is illegal than yeah. it is to name the states in which cannabis uh, is legal, either either full legality or mixed legality. So, in fact, um, my research suggests that there are currently six states in which uh, cannabis is illegal, Idaho, Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, uh, Kansas, South Carolina uh, and North Carolina. Um, the state of Vermont, where uh, where 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 you uh, spend quite a bit of time and and uh, and and have a and have a, a property there, uh, I kind of think of uh, Vermont as a little bit like the Lewis and Clark uh, of <laughs> cannabis, right? <laughs> before before the Vermont uh, before the Vermont uh, legislature legislature legalized uh, the recreational use of marijuana in 2018, uh, no state had done it that way. So, right. So truly Vermont as uh, a pioneer. Um, uh, Nate, what, what, what's your understanding of what the uh, cannabis specific laws are in Vermont? Well, I don't grow it. So I, I mean, think most of the people that around those laws are, are more concerned with what's legal to grow and what's legal to possess. I believe uh, that you are allowed to have up to two ounces on your person. Uh, just like alcohol, you can't use it in a car. There are, are DWI laws, obviously, that take an effect. Um, and you can't smoke in public places, just like you can't just pop a beer anywhere you want, um, at least in some states. Mm. Um, and so- you're allowed to grow, I think, two or three or two, that's two or four mature plants. But the thing about it is, is the laws are kind of hazy. Because you're allowed to grow a certain amount of plants, but you're only allowed to possess so many ounces. And, and a, a plant can produce more and, and will produce more than what you're legally allowed to have. But yet you can grow four plants. So it's it's a little confusing. And quite frankly, uh, I don't think there's a lot of enforcement going on right now. I think they're probably only going after blatant uh, offenders. Yeah. Um, so just in, in a little bit of research that I did, because I wanted to I wanted to try to be as knowledgeable as I could, specifically knowledgeable on the on the subject. To, so my research suggests that uh, adult users and I think that's an important distinction. Uh, so adult users, 21 years and older in Vermont can possess up to one ounce of cannabis. Um, and, uh, and, and up oh, I thought to, it was two. Yeah. It's again, my, uh, uh, as, as I was, as I was researching this, um, uh, and, and, and can also grow up to six plants at home. So yeah. it's something about, you know, one 
if a plant produces a number of ounce and how does that math work? You know, <laughs> yeah, correct. Um, now it, 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 you know, it, interestingly enough, um, uh, while, uh, Vermont would seem, uh, to be sort of the wild, wild west of weed, uh, truth is that there are actually significant penalties associated with possessing more than the legal amount, whether it's, whether it's an ounce or whether it's two ounces, um, there are significant, uh, you know, financial penalties and also um, potential jail time. To your point, um, I, they're likely they're likely bigger fish to fry in terms of law enforcement, right? So law enforcement aren't dragging people in, uh, you know, uh, doing doing uh, you know car searches and strip searches on people to to you know to see if they're carrying more. But but there are there are significant um, there are significant penalties associated with uh, with possessing more than is legal. Um, do, do you think you think those 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 possession laws and or and or number of plant laws you you think those are reasonable? No. Yeah. No, not at all. This is a plant. This is a plant. I mean like like hold on a second here. We this is a plant and we have lots of plants that that affect us and have medical benefits and things like that that aren't treated this way. And certainly the biggest hypocritical thing is our alcohol laws. I mean, I think if you talk to any law enforcement officer, they'll tell you that the vast majority of problems that they have to face are related to alcohol, whether it's domestic abuse, things like that. And, you know, it's it's stereotypical. It's kind of it's said a lot. It's a meme, but people don't smoke and then beat up their wife. If people I mean, it's it is a different effect. If anything, it's it's much more mellow. Uh, I, I do. I don't look at it like a manufactured drug. Although, I mean, there's no way you can get around the fact some of the edibles are and stuff. And there's there's big business behind it now. But the effects are radically different than drinking. And that's not to say it doesn't alter your perception or your your abilities, as it does. Um, but there are lots of there are lots of factors with cannabis that are more nuanced than alcohol. I mean, alcohol's alcohol. I, Alcohol is probably one of the most destructive things to our entire society. And I don't think that cannabis has the same negative effect on society. Now, that doesn't mean to say that everybody should use it. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that says that in your developing years, as your brain is developing, um, you know, if you're if you have a proclivity to to schizophrenia, that this can uh, actually cause the break that allows that to come out. I mean, it's. Anything that you use that alters your perception, you need to be educated on and understand what you're doing. And I think that's the downside of alcohol. It's so publicly accepted is we don't look at it that so you turn you turn 21 and you go out and get shit faced. I mean, it's 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 normal. It's it's accepted in our society where cannabis or, or mushroom use or other 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 drugs are really stigmatized and and looked down upon by a large portion of our society. Yeah. Where, so where or, and, or how do you think cannabis uh, got swept up in the say no to drugs movement that, that, that likely that, you know, that, that likely created, or at least was the part of the origin or genesis of this, of this stereotype and with, with cannabis, how, well, how, or why did, why did cannabis, why was cannabis included in some of the other, you know, 
cocaine, um, uh, at, you know, at the time, we're thinking yeah. about that, you know, that the, the Reagan administration and the say no to drugs. Um, what, what, why, well, was cannabis, it, why was cannabis lumped in with, uh, with, with, with <clears throat> cocaine or, or crack cocaine? For instance? Richard Nixon and Harry Anslinger, uh, different, different times, different, different. Those are two, too deeply involved with the, the narrative um, and the funny thing is, is if you, if you look at the history of cannabis, it's, it gets really interesting and it's, it's funny, follow the money. All you have to do always is follow the money. So, and I'm going to butcher this story because I, I don't have it in front of me, but Harry Anslinger, I don't exactly remember what, how this all worked or what he was in charge of, but this has to do with the hemp industry prior to the thirties. Cannabis was cannabis sativa was a very common component used in things like cough syrup. And it was, it was very, it was, it was medical. It was prescribed for lots of things and it was commonly used. Um, but what happened is hemp production, hemp started to, hemp is sort of a, a miracle uh, plant because it's incredibly tough. And there was a really large hemp industry in the thirties. And a lot of it had to do with uh, paper. Uh, hemp paper, hemp clothing, things of that sort. So I, I, you got to follow the money, but essentially, uh, boy, of the people that know the story are going to like, they're going to, they're going to kill me on butchering this, okay. but it has to do with newspaper printing and newspapers and things of that sort where, uh, in clothing industries, it has to do with industries that hemp was going to hurt. So one of the easiest ways to make hemp illegal was to, show uh to show the cannabis usage side lump it all together and make it illegal um and you know it's laughable that cannabis is um schedule one drug federally which means that has zero medicinal value that's one of the qualifications now that there's where everything stops right there it's been used as a medicine since long before these laws were in place and it still is used as medicine uh and there are i mean you can find outline there are people that think cannabis cures everything from a runny nose to cancer i mean it's 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 over the top with purported medical benefits but there are very well documented medical benefits and there certainly are for people like me ADD, who I would be prescribed Ritalin and things of that sort, there are uh, real benefits of using a natural plant to uh, to make me a better person or to help help me with some of the things that I don't think serve me that I normally would go to. Um, uh, I would have to rely on uh, pharmacy products to take care of with uh, a lot harder side effects than cannabis. Cannabis has long-term side effects for some people, but it doesn't have the kind of side effects that quite frankly, almost everything else does. Yeah. It's, it's a very gentle plant on us. Yeah. yeah. And just, uh, just, just for clarification. So, uh, so hemp is a, um, is a, is a very low THC, uh, um, 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 uh, it, it has very low THC levels. You don't, you don't smoke hemp, but hemp, but, yeah. but hemp, hemp has a wide array of industrial uses as you, as you pointed out. Yeah. And what hemp is being used primarily for is uh, harvesting CBD because CBD products are extremely popular and uh, you, you, just like any plant, you can, uh, you can uh, cross and breed certain strains to contain more TH, well, more THC, more CBD, whatever you can affect the uh, cannabinoids in them by, uh, 
you know, by the, the process that's used there. Um, right. Thank you for that clarification. Um, so just to sort of continue on this, uh, this, uh, uh, this Vermont line that we're talking about. So in, in 2020, uh, uh, in Vermont, a bill was passed uh, that opened the licensing product or licensing, licensing process for adult use dispensaries in Vermont, right? Yeah. The first dispensary opened in October of 2022. So interestingly enough, the, you know, the, 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 the history of the timeline here is relatively short. This is a, a fairly new phenomenon. Mike, here's my question, Nate, before we, before we go any further, um, I'm wondering if you would be willing, um, uh, to, to answer this question. For, so for full disclosure, do you have any financial interest, uh, in the cannabis, uh, industry in Vermont? No, I don't. I was actually there. I had one small venture that I was, I was going to do when I was trying to retire, but I just, um, and it was a, it was a sort of a cannabis weekend in Vermont. I had a off the grid camp and I was putting together a, a weekend where you get great food, great cannabis and great rides. I had put together a, a series of bike packing routes from the camp, um, that are really, I mean, riding and bikepacking in Vermont is one of the most beautiful things you can do. It's, it's, uh, primarily dirt roads, lots of Hills, and you see a portion of the country in a very different way than if you ever see it through paved roads. Uh, so I had, I had, I had, a, I have a website actually still up called heady adventures. Uh, that's my only, that was my only remotely financial interest. I thought for a while about possibly opening a dispensary or getting involved, but quite frankly, it's not the lucrative business that people think it is. And it is just absolutely loaded with regulations and red tape. And uh, it sounds like a nightmare, quite frankly. It's not an easy business to be in. Got it. Um, well, it, uh, you know, the, some, of the, some of the news reports, uh, sometimes the way the media makes it out uh, is that uh, it is an incredibly financially lucrative uh, industry to be in. Um, uh, but it, so it's interesting, interesting that you mentioned that it's not necessarily the case. Um, Nate, tell us a little bit about uh, 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 what, um, what cannabis products you use uh, and why you use them. I use all of them. <laughs> all right. I, honestly, where uh, there's there's an evolution here, and it, and it ebbs and flows for me. Um, I, I unfortunately, and I'd like to move away from this, but this is an interesting topic. I, my preferred usage is to smoke it, not to vape it, not to eat it, but to actually smoke it. And you know, I used to smoke cigarettes when I was in high school. When I was younger. Cigarettes are. I mean it doesn't take you too long to realize that you are destroying your lungs. It doesn't take too long before you can't walk up a flight of stairs before you realize this thing is very bad for me. And it's interesting. Number one, you don't smoke the quantity that you would if you were a cigarette smoker. I mean, to smoke a pack of joints a day would be a hell of a thing. Um, but I find that I can titrate better smoking, uh, than any other way. If you eat a little bit too much of an edible, uh, well, first of all, like I said prior, the, the, the experience of an edible is very different than smoking. Smoking lasts uh, as a shorter duration. You can, uh, you can, you can, uh, you can get a very small amount and sort of dip a toe into this, uh, with, with smoking it or vaping it. Um, but I'm concerned for my lungs. I, I do think it has an effect, although, uh, of, shockingly small effect. I mean, I, I think people would be surprised in the middle of a hundred mile run that you're in that kind of shape and you actually smoke anything. But I know a lot of athletes because of the concern of smoking, 
um, will use edibles. And um, again, it's a different thing. And edibles more of a commitment. And if you get it wrong, it's more of an uncomfortable commitment. It lasts longer. So my preferred method is still the old fashioned smoke a joint, you know, <clears throat> and, and, or a bowl and do it that way. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, interesting as a, as a clinical exercise physiologist, um, as, as part of my research, uh, I wanted to find, uh, an overwhelming amount of evidence that suggested that smoking, uh, cannabis, um, was, uh, you know, was incredibly destructive, uh, to the human lung. Uh, truth is the research is very equivocal on this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's shocking. You wouldn't expect yeah, it. You wouldn't correct. expect what you find. Yeah. It, and there's some, there's some really interesting, um, uh, really interesting indications, uh, or suggestions that, um, that there are anti-inflammatory components, um, to, uh, to, to inhaling, uh, mm -hmm. cannabis that are completely different, um, uh, then, then, um, uh, then, then what happens when you inhale, um, uh, you know, yeah, and there's been studies done on lung cancer and cannabis smoking, and there is no evidence. It does. We cannot find any evidence that it actually causes lung cancer. Yeah. And uh, again, I, <laughs> which is wild. I, 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 I wanted to be able to provide evidence <laughs> that, that there is a significant, uh, negative, uh, element and aspect to it. Um, I'm just, I'm just not sure that from a research standpoint that it's necessarily yeah, there, you know, there's no way you can get around the fact that smoking anything isn't good for your lungs. So that, like, totally we can right. generalize and say like, Agreed. no matter how much I can apostolize about smoking, mm -hmm. it, smoking cannabis or using cannabis, smoking is not good for your lungs. And yeah. I think any other method you can do is, is probably smart. I, I completely, completely agree with you. Um, so because of the potent effects of, of THC, uh, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, uh, has an in-competition ban on THC. Um, in part, um, the, the WADA uh, quotes uh, this as the reason uh, that it's at least part of the reason that it's banned, quote, uh, THC potentially, uh, potentially in uh, athletes potentially endanger themselves and others because of the increased risk taking, slower reaction times, and poor executive function uh, or decision making. Um, uh, and 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 you know they they also go on to say WADA, the World Anti Doping Association, goes on to say that they believe cannabis violates uh, the spirit of the sport saying uh, the drug, quote, can be performance enhancing for some athletes and sports disciplines. Nate, in, the, in, in sports like ultra running, for example, uh, THC can potentially numb pain, <clears throat> numb pain. Uh, it can alleviate fatigue uh, and or decrease uh, nausea. Um, uh, all, all three of those things potentially historically are, are part and parcel with ultra distance racing. Yeah where, uh, you know, potentially the person who suffers less, uh, finishes ahead of the person that suffers more. Um, do, do you agree, uh, with, 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 with that potential impact of, of THC on ultra distance performance? I have a little bit different take. I mean, ultimately I'd have to say yes, but I don't think the way it's being described is the way I would describe it or fr from an experience point of view. First of all, I have to back up one thing. I do not believe cannabis makes you take more risks. I think they've got that wrong. I think if you think about the stereotypical stoner driving his car down the road and he's going 20 miles an hour in a 50 zone, that's more likely to be the effect is one of caution, not one of risk taking. So I think they've got that all wrong. I also think that in terms of 
THC being a pain reliever, I think that's wrong too. And, and if you don't use cannabis, you can't know this nuance. It, cannabis allows you some space in your head to sort of separate what you're going through physically. So almost like a slightly disassociative effect. So it's not that you don't feel the pain. It's not that you're not tired. It's that you have a little bit different perspective on it. And perhaps that pain isn't so overwhelming. And that's, I think, and, and again, that's an advantage in, in, in running ultras or, or doing anything long distance. Uh, it, it, it's a mood enhancer. So, you know, running a hundred miles is probably 80% mental and 20% physical. So anything that gives you an, a mental advantage over your situation is an advantage, but I can tell you flat out Advil for me was way more of an effective, uh, hack than cannabis. And, you know, my secret weapon in ultras was making sure that I stayed hydrated because of all the dangers of using Advil, but making sure I was hydrated enough. So when I got to that point where I was in agony, one simple Advil was a miracle. And it was my secret weapon, regardless of all the warnings against it. And I'm very aware of the dangers of what can happen to it. But I, I, if you're going to make something illegal, Advil for me was way more of an a, a advantage than cannabis. Cannabis, yeah. cannabis might have made it more enjoyable. The two together, now we're starting to get pretty good. It, it, it does make a substantial difference in uh, in your suffering. And quite frankly, I love running the distance, and I'm not one of those people that enjoys suffering. I'm going to use whatever I can. That's like saying, hey, why don't you wear wool socks for 100 if you don't want to suffer? Make sure you really get some good blisters going there. <laughs> so I, I do think it – I do think it, it – you could – I mean, you could put it into the same realm as – anything using, using something on your muscles at an aid station, like an icy hot. So they're not in much pain or reducing swelling. It's, it's one of the components and it is anti-inflammatory. So it probably does have some other effects that are helpful physically. Did you, uh, did you ever use cannabis, uh, within an ultra distance? I did. I absolutely did. Yeah. yeah I mean, probably I didn't, I, I, I dis rediscovered cannabis probably only 10 years ago. So it wasn't my entire endurance career that, uh, that I used cannabis. But, uh, when I did, um, I, I, I did find that, uh, it, it made it more enjoyable. I mean, I think if you talk to a lot of skiers and mountain bikers, you'll see that cannabis use out on the trails is very, very common because there's another side effect to this is it, it's enjoyable. It puts you in a good mood. And when you're outside doing something you love, Okay, cannabis enhances things. So you'll you'll hear people talk people talking about how cannabis enhances the way food tastes. It enhances uh, sex, and it's going to enhance essentially or accentuate anything that you enjoy. So I mean, it does it does have a psychoactive effect, and it does affect your mood, and it's usually in a very positive manner. For me, for some people, they can't use cannabis at all because the mood that it creates is terrible. And there's a lot of people that uh, cannabis creates deep anxiety for, and it's a terrible substance for them. Hmm. And it's, it's you know, just like all endurance things, it's, a, it's an experiment of one. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, and I think that's an incredibly important uh, point to make. Let me, uh, let me have you make a distinction because, um, you know, we, you, you have a history of both uh, ultra distance running and, you know, currently this 
uh, this this current passion that you have of uh, of uh, ultra distance bike packing. Um, Nate, do you do you do you see there being any particular uh, caution or special consideration with respect to cannabis use and cycling? versus cannabis use and something like ultra distance running. In other words, do you, do you, do you think there's anything, anything that, that you would need to be a little bit more purposeful about using cannabis and riding your bike versus using cannabis and being on foot? Well, I would say familiarity would be the first thing. I think it'd be an incredibly stupid thing for somebody to do is to use cannabis for the first time and then go out and ride their bicycle or do anything like that lines. I think familiarity with how it affects you, how much to titrate, you know, how much you use, uh, and, and, and what you do that that's more important. So I don't think, and I can tell you, and I, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast use cannabis for recreational things like hiking and riding their bikes. And, you know, there's plenty of studies that you can do on, there's plenty of studies that have been done on, let's say driving under the influence of cannabis. And obviously it's illegal. It's treated the same way as, as alcohol. But for regular users, cannabis does not, uh, I, I can't argue that it doesn't affect your motor skills, but I think it's quite a bit less than what most people think. Again, you know, I, I one of my biggest hesitations to talk about cannabis and sports is for this exact reason, because it's different for everybody. There, I know people that if they have one hit of a joint, they're done for the night. And the last thing someone like that should do would be get on their bicycle and go outside and ride. But there's many people like myself that you would never know the difference in me if I had smoked or not. It's not like I'm stumbling. It's not like I'm that much. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit less talkative. Maybe I'm a lot more talkative. But as far as athletic ability goes and balance and things like that, for myself personally, absolutely, absolutely very comfortable doing it. And I do not feel like I'm putting myself or anybody else in danger. And I hope that doesn't sound too self-serving, but I, I really believe it. No. Well, I, I think it gets back to what you said earlier, which is, uh, I mean, that this, this is always an experiment of one. And I think you need to, I think you need to keep that in, in perspective as you are talking about your experience, uh, uh, with, with the use of cannabis, um, the listener needs to understand that their experience may be completely different. Very um, true. Right? That there, there really aren't any generalizations with respect to how people tolerate it uh, and how people people react to it. Um, you mentioned before uh, about about method of use. Uh, we talked about we mentioned before about about timing and about dose. Let's let's get into the weeds a little bit with respect to some of the some of the specifics about these things right so um, um, so methods of use you you mentioned uh, you mentioned inhalation you mentioned edibles um, um, there are also topicals um, creams or or lotions uh, and and then transdermal there are uh, patches that, that yeah. you can wear um, you're you're obviously you mentioned that you you've uh, you're Two of your your methods of, of use are, are and but your primary method of use is inhalation. But you've also used edibles. Um, do you have any experience with with topicals or transdermal uh, methods of delivery? No, I actually avoid a lot of. Uh, so there there has been some uh, there's been medical uh, products that are THC based. Uh, what the heck was the name of that? Marinol. There's a that used to use for cancer patients who are. Um, who are, let's say, having fat uh, wasting syndrome that need appetite stimulation. Actually, uh, my brother-in-law that passed away of AIDS uh, in the early epidemic uh, before they had the drugs that do now, they prescribed him Marinol. 
and he hated it. And most people I know that take it hate it because Marinol or, and I'm making an assumption. I don't know much about the transdermal patches, but, um, straight THC is not fun. Straight THC makes most people very uncomfortable just having the psychoactive without the other cannabinoids, um, is, is uncomfortable. And I don't know anybody that likes it quite frankly. Um, there's something called the entourage effect that's talked about a lot and, and it has to do with these plants. Uh, these plants have an over, a lot of different components in them that all act together to create the effect that you get. And when, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like eating an ear of corn versus corn syrup. They're the same, but they're not. And it's, it's that mentality. It's stripping out everything that produces the entourage effect or, or the overall health benefits and just giving the psychoactive effect that I think is a little short-sighted. Um, so I haven't, I, I really tend to prefer getting as close to nature as I can. So, you know, as far as edibles go, uh, edibles is a product. Of, it's, it's just like what we talked about. It's like getting the apple juice out of the apples. They, they, they strip the, uh, the components that they want out of the cannabis and then they incorporate it into whatever you're eating. And of course, uh, just, just as a side note for people that don't know, cannabis on its own, uh, you, if you eat it, it won't do anything to you. It might do something very small, but essentially eating cannabis, your body doesn't, you can't break it down. So cannabis has to be, uh, what's called decarboxylated in order for you to get the effect to eat it. So decarboxylation is the process of removing one of the uh, carbon atoms from the uh, THC or from the uh, cannabinoid. Uh, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but it is a removal of, a, of an oxygen molecule. Yeah. And um, that's what allows it to be processed in your liver uh, for a different effect. So if I'm going to eat edible, I think the best way to do it is to decarboxylate some actual cannabis and then eat it. But you have to understand how dosing works because you can end up in a huge world of hurt, uh, getting way too much. Yeah. And, and, and I think it also, I think it also potentially comes down to, 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 to timing as well. So I, uh, again, uh, my, my, my background, uh, uh, in, 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 on the clinical side of things in cardiology and pulmonology for a number of years, um, uh, as a, as an exercise physiologist, I need, I needed to understand how, uh, traditional, uh, pharmaceuticals work specifically with respect to something called pharmacokinetics, right? That is, uh, the sort of the, the, the timing, uh, mm -hmm. action of, of medications. And if we think of, if we think of, you know, THC, uh, as a, you know, as a, well, as something very similar to, 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 uh, um, uh, you know, to, a to a drug or it is a drug, but if we, if we think of it, um, in that, in that term or in that way, um, we can begin to understand a little bit better uh, how these different methods uh, of of use um, work in terms of timing. So, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Nate. With respect to edibles, um, one of the things that potentially gets people in trouble is that the the onset of of action with edibles uh, is somewhat delayed. It's not the same as inhalation, for instance. Um, it, it, I mean, it might be as much as 30 minutes That's uh, more. After, or more uh, after ingesting the edible before you begin to experience the effect. I, from what I've understood, again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. 
sometimes people get into trouble because they take an edible and they don't immediately feel an effect. Um, in other words, they haven't waited long enough. Um, they figured, you know, this is not a, this is not a big enough dose, and they take more. Um, is, is that? <laughs> it's such a common story. It. Ha- I mean, I'm telling you, almost everyone I know that's tried edibles first time did exactly that, and it, it's. It, it's it's an area where education is really important because your first edible experience, if you go down that road, is not going to be fun at all because the experience of having too much, especially with an edible, is overwhelmingly uncomfortable. It is not fun at all. So to get back to your point, if you inhale THC, the effects are within minutes and actually sometimes less than a minute. It's almost instant. Um, and that's why it's easier to use to titrate because you can smoke a very small amount in five or 10 minutes. You're going to know exactly how you feel fully and you can make the decision whether you want to add with an edible. Uh, and I, I urge people to understand how milligrams work. The, the thing that I hear over and over is oh, my buddy made some pot brownies or cookies and I ate one and fell asleep for 36 hours because whoever made them, it probably had a hundred milligrams of THC in it. Don't ever eat anything that somebody gives you that you don't know exactly how many milligrams. I mean, that's, it's insane. You wouldn't do it with any other drug here. Take this pill. What, how much is in it? I don't know. That's insane. And, uh, I think there's an issue where legality has a negative effect. If it's hard for people to get quality products that are, lab tested and they're documented with how many milligrams are in them, you're playing roulette. You really are. So, uh, edibles take for most people, the average time is about an hour and almost everybody does exactly what you said at first. I know I have friends that it takes about a half an hour, which is extremely fast. And I have friends that take sometimes up to two hours. So I would caution anybody that's experimenting. I would not take more than five milligrams first time. As a matter of fact, if you can take two and a half, even better and let it run its course, see what you get. Don't add Do one session with a very small amount, see what the effects are. And then next time you can decide if you want to try a little bit more or add, but, um, that's a super good caution. And a very important point, Chris, is that just don't experiment with this. No, go very low with the milligrams and wait it out and experiment. Mm. Um, I, and, and just as a follow up to to edibles, while the um, to your point, the onset may be as 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 quick as thirty minutes, although that's rare. More likely to be closer to an hour. Um, uh, you know, two and a half milligrams might peak in terms of action uh, two to four hours after administration. And like and like any. And like any drug, um, again, we think of this concept of pharmacokinetics, there's an onset. In other words, what's the delay after you take it before it begins to have an effect? What's the peak? Uh, because after you take a medication, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the concentration of that medication in your, in your body uh, at some point peaks Yep. Um, uh, in, uh, you know, a certain amount of time after administration. And so theoretically, then the peak um, in concentration of the drug within your body would result in the peak effect of that medication. And then like any medication, there's a duration. In other words, after the peak action and peak effect, the effects begin to slowly wear off so yeah. that, um, so that the total duration, I mean, 
again, you, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the total the total duration of action may be as much as eight hours, although clearly you're not feeling at eight hours what you might have felt at one hour. Yeah. Um, what, and so why is that an important consideration? Do, do you think that there is this this concept of pharmacokinetics, this onset, this peak and this duration, specifically with respect to edibles? Well, I think, um, and this is just anecdotally from my personal experience, is when the edible hits you, it does not take too much longer before you're at your peak and then it slowly fades from there. So it is not something uh, if you get in, yourself in trouble where when it hits you, you start to feel overwhelmed. I think sometimes people panic, think, oh my God, it's going to get even stronger than this. And I think if you're if you're in it, let's say it hits you at an hour, within a half an hour or even shorter, I find for myself, the way it hits me is it hits me like a ton of bricks. It hits me with its full effect when it hits me. So, and I, everybody's got, you know, just like anything, everybody's got a little bit different experience. I find the duration, and this is one of the big considerations for when I will use an edible and when I won't, the duration of an edible is considerably longer. I would say for me, three to four hours, just like it would be an Advil or anything that you would take orally. Um, same sort of effect before your body flushes it back out. I find inhaling cannabis, the the duration is considerably shorter, probably one to two hours, depending on you know your your uh, tolerance and things of that sort. And again, it's a different drug. I would say if I was going to generalize, I would say edibles, as as a generalization, make you more sleepy. So uh, you know, if you're experimenting, I would say with an edible, I'd say do it in an area where if you do get really sleepy, you can just in just sleep it off and and just enjoy the feeling rather than having to have to do something or interact with people. Um, yeah, good, good point too. And, 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 and for the listener, the reason that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm spending a little bit more time on edibles is for this reason for, uh, for, for the, for the endurance athlete, you know, who is maybe thinking about this might be something that might be of benefit or value to me. Um, I would think, and again, you'll, you'll, you'll tell me if I'm off here, but I would think, I would think, most endurance athletes, many endurance athletes who might be curious about this might tend to favor an edible over, uh, over, over, over inhaling, uh, cannabis. Would you say that's just generally that's fair? Absolutely true. I think the fear of inhale, I mean, I don't know too many endurance athletes that smoke cigarettes. So the, 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 the prospect of smoking anything for somebody that's worked so hard to get in in, you know, get their VO two max up and just be in as fit as they can. The, the, the prospect of smoking anything is daunting and, and, and no. So I know, I know a number of very high end runners who, uh, whose attitude about cannabis is exactly what you said. They don't smoke it and they never would, but edibles are on the table. All right. So, um, so a couple of quick follow up questions as it relates to edibles, if you don't mind. Um, uh, so, Nate, obviously you you're you're sort of a, a a part-time resident of the state of Vermont, although you your your primary residency is New Hampshire, but you do you do spend a considerable amount of time in Vermont, um uh in which um you know it's it, it's obviously much easier to uh you know to 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 find these products sure. um sure. in in Vermont. Um, not as easy, of course, in New Hampshire, although, although I believe, uh, Maine is Maine, the state of Maine is similar to the state of Vermont in terms of, in terms of dispensaries. Um, if I live in a state like New Hampshire, for instance, in which there aren't dispensaries, although it's not illegal, um, where do I go about 
finding uh, edibles that are, you know, that are lab tested, that are, you know, yeah. that are quality controlled, um, where, where you have where, to go where, to a dispensary, you have to go to dispensary, or you have to know somebody that really understands the science in making something. But I don't recommend that. I don't, I mean, I know, I know how careful I am when I make something with cannabis, when I make an edible and in, in doing the math and knowing how many milligrams I would expect per dose. But the safest, best way to do is to go to a dispensary. Yeah. And there's a couple distinctions here. Um, New Hampshire is the only state that doesn't, isn't freely legal recreationally. And it's not illegal, but it is still, um, it's decriminalized. So you can still get fines and it is not legal. In the states surrounding us, Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, now Connecticut and New York, all of them are legally recreationally. So you can find some really good dispensaries and the dispensary is a great place to get some information because the people that work with these products every day are generally enthusiastic about them and very knowledgeable. So um, the only distinction that I would make, all of the surrounding states, I think, I know Vermont, Massachusetts, I'm not sure about Connecticut and, and New York, but they have a five milligram per serving uh, restriction. Um, so your your value for what you get from those states is not as good as if you go to Maine, where you can get what is sort of the standard across this country, which is a single serving of 10 milligrams. And most of the times those are gummies. So you could cut them in half or quarters when you're when you're figuring this out. Um, but it costs the same for 50 milligrams of THC. So 10, five milligram servings is typically what you get, whether it's a gummy, a caramel, whatever they make, uh, in, in Vermont and, um, Massachusetts, but in Maine for 30 bucks, you can get a hundred milligrams. So you'd get the same 10 pieces, but they would be 10 milligrams. So purely from a, a value point of view, the best places to go for a dispensary are in Maine right now because of some of the laws. So yes, it's legal in these other states, but they put certain state laws on and they change for uh, concentrates, which we haven't talked about at all. And I don't think we really need to too much. Um, concentrates or tinctures or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to consume cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, you So you, um, you mentioned strains earlier, right? And uh, um, how, um, you know, the, the different strains potentially have different effects. Um, as an endurance athlete, curious about, um, uh, curious about, about cannabis and potentially its, its impact on uh, either uh, curious about its impact on, uh, on athletic performance, either within athletic performance or, or as a mechanism to promote recovery. Yeah. That's um, a biggie. Yeah. Um, what are the differences in right. strains? Like, what are we, what, what is, what is the individual looking for? Because I, I, again, I've never been in a dispensary, but I just imagine going in and uh, as a novice being completely overwhelmed by the yeah. variety. And so, you know, like I'm an endurance athlete, what specifically am I looking for in terms, in terms of edible with respect to strains, for instance? Sure. So I would say the best thing to do is experiment, but here's some generalizations and here's how I would say I use them and, and how they might benefit an endurance athlete. So, um, again, back to indica and sativa again, there's, there's nuance here, but for now, let's forget that nuance and let's just generalize sativas generally would be a type of product or a sativa based 
hybrid. Almost everything is a hybrid now where they have components of both, or they've taken a sativa strain and they've crossed it with an indica strain and you have a hybrid. But they have what they call sort of a sativa-leaning hybrid or a sativa. Sativas tend to be higher in THC and lower in CBD. So it is a much more alert type uh, effect and uh, much more almost like a good strong sativa almost has a caffeine sort of uh, feel to it as well. So great for being outside and being active. The other side of cannabis use and, and the side that is good enough, forget using it during an event, but something that's very helpful uh, is using an indica, which is incredibly relaxing. There's a reason why people enjoy cannabis so much. Uh, a good indica will make you feel sleepy, feel relaxed. It tends to loosen your grip on anxiety. Again, acts a little bit as a dissociative. So a lot of the, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty stereotypical of endurance athletes to also be pretty ADHD and high achievers when what goes with that is busy mind. And um, a lot of times those people have a hard time sleeping, especially if they're an endurance athletes and they're, you know, they're, they're not getting as much sleep and they're, they're really, really beating on their bodies. And you think about a big training cycle and how tired and smoked you are. If you have an inability to sleep, sleep is just absolutely critical for your body's recovery, as you know. So I know plenty of people that resort to Ambien and some very strong drugs to, to help them sleep and they have terrible side effects. I personally have been an advocate for helping people with that, use some cannabis products to get better sleep. And it's, again, anecdotally, uh, it, it's remarkably helpful. So it's, it is an anti-inflammatory. I think CBD's, CBD creams and, and, and uh, uh, cannabis has been shown pretty well to, to have an uh, anti-inflammatory um, effect. But uh, using, uh, so I'll give you an example. So we talk about using cannabis during an event. If I do a five or six day bike packing race, so let's say six, 700 mile bike packing race. One of the most important reasons that I bring cannabis with me is so when I finally do set up my tent in the middle of a poison Ivy field, you know, I mean, you know, everything that it goes with it is that a couple puffs before I get into my sleeping bag helps me get to sleep quick. And it helps me, uh, helps me stay asleep. Um, so it's it's very valuable in that if you have a short time to get to sleep, it helps with that. So it's it's just it's relaxing and helps you sleep. So those two things together, you know, maybe pain management or distancing yourself a little bit for how difficult this task you have, that would be more a sativa-based product and for getting to sleep, you know. And again, I highly recommend, and what I do is I have certain strains that when I try them, I'm like, oh, this is a great outdoor strain. I'll make sure this is what I use for that. And uh, this one's really sleepy. God forbid I smoke it during the day, but it's great to have some with me before I get into my tent. You know, mm. um, yeah, I think that's I, I think that's that's very helpful. And um, suffice to say um, that uh, it is not as simple as walking in the dispensary and grabbing the first uh, uh, or, or purchasing, um, you know, purchasing the you know the 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 the, the edibles willy nilly. Like there's um, there there are there are specific strains have specific potential impacts. Um, but it's, it's really good to start at a dispensary because what's your alternative? 
You have to go to the illegal market and take somebody's word as opposed to a company that does it professionally. So even going to dispensary going, I don't know what I need. I've heard that this might be good for endurance. I've heard there's some strains that are good for sleep. There's some good to the day. What do you think? How can you help me there? You know, if you're going to a professional dispensary, the bud tenders, as they're known, instead of bartenders, they're known as bud tenders. They tend to be a wealth of knowledge and they're a great place to start. Mm. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating uh, discussion. Um, let me um, let me ask let me ask one um, one more cannabis related uh, question, um, and um, and we'll 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 wrap we'll wrap with that. Well, I actually have a series of random questions for you, but um, so we 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 spent a little time talking about um, uh, the the athlete side of cannabis use. Um, let me put my race director hat on for a moment. And, um, let me ask you about, um, cannabis as a way to potentially unlevel the playing field. Mm. Um, now, I, I mean, we, 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 I did mention, of course, that, um, that the world anti-doping association, uh, bans cannabis for, 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 for in-race or in-competition uh, use. Truth is that as local race directors, you know, if I'm hosting a hundred person trail race, I'm not, I'm not drug testing. Okay. I mean, that's tens of thousands of dollars and most, the majority of, of road races, bike races, I mean, aside from national level competitions, nobody's drug testing. Okay. In yeah. fact, um, I'm not even necessarily sure on our website, we have any specific mention about, uh, you know, about what are banned substances. Right. Um, but the truth is, um, that there, that, that there are athletes uh, that'll show up to our events. Now, clearly Nate, to your point, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, a three mile trail race is a little different than a, you know, than a, a, a three day expedition race in terms <laughs> of, in terms of potentially the, the use of, of cannabis products. But, um, but, but one, what impact, uh, if any, uh, do you feel that cannabis use has on potentially unleveling the playing field with respect to these ultra distance competitions and, um, you know, do, is there any need for additional language about the use or prohibition of cannabis use within competition? Man, that's out of my wheelhouse. I mean, dead honestly, I've thought about that a lot. Uh, for me, it's an advantage. It it makes it easier to suffer. Again, it, it creates a little bit of distance between you and that suffering where you still feel it, but you're able to frame your suffering a little bit differently. So there's no way... No way I could say it's not an advantage. For me, it is. I think it really comes to, like, if if I was wearing the race director hat, it's an incredibly difficult conversation because tolerance has a huge play here. If you take a regular smoker who goes into his car and has a couple puffs or a, a pull off his, his vape before he goes runs that 5K, I don't think it's going to affect you at, or or the competition at all. You want to look about somebody that's maybe doing race across America or, you know, very high level competition that's very intense. You have to you have to consider it this way you would consider anything like, again, Advil for me is the example because Advil is much more of a of a competition advantage for me as far as pain and suffering. I mean, it for me, it shuts my pain off. Cannabis does not do that at all. Canvas might keep you from 
getting as deep into the pain cave as you would on your own, perhaps maybe helps you not focus on that ruptured blister on your heel quite as much, but it doesn't make it go away. Advil makes it disappear. Advil's, you know, or, 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 or any, any painkiller. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's probably an underground usage of those types of things in our races too. I I've never run into it, but um, that's a really tough question, man. If I was in your spot, cause for me, I would much rather be doing an, an endurance event using cannabis or having cannabis available than not. So for me, it is an advantage mm -hmm. and it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and pure, pure speculation here, because I know you don't have any specific inside knowledge necessarily. Um, but you know, if you, if, if you, if you think about the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the most well-known, hundred mile foot races here in the United States, you know, hard rock and Leadville and, uh, and Western Vermont, States, Leadville, Western States. Right. Um, of the top 10 male and female finishers, again, pure speculation. Cause you don't, you don't really have any inside knowledge here, but give me a sense as a race director, are we talking about maybe one of, of the top 10 male and female that are using cannabis zero? No, two? it's, what? it's, I would probably guess two to four. I mean, I, I've been a top 10 finisher at the Vermont 100 two or three times. Uh, I think I finished as high as eighth. Um, and I definitely used cannabis in both of those. Um, and I can tell you, in the middle of the night at two o'clock walking into a cloud of weed and then running into some runners in front of you happens. It does happen. So I don't know how many, <laughs> um, but you know, most of the crowd that I was running with is up at the front and I definitely encountered it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I, I think it's an interesting conversation um, for both, you know, professional endurance coaches for whom their athletes uh, either are using these products or potentially could benefit from these products. And then of course, as race directors, uh, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about the local 5k race. I'm talking about, I'm talking about race directors, um, you know, for these ultra distance or stage race competitions, be they foot races or bike races, um, you know, particularly at events in which you know, WADA, uh, WADA testing, uh, uh, you know, dope, doping is dope. Doping is not part of the testing regimen just because we can't afford it. Um, you know, what, what potential impact is there on, on the, on the competitive element? Now, clearly, well, clearly cannabis is not the only product that people are potentially using, um, that, that may unlevel the playing field, but cannabis is what we're, what, what we're discussing here. So, well, just, you know, it, there's another factor here too, Chris, is that, that, uh, Cannabis is extremely hard to test for not, not difficult to actually get the results, but cannabis stays in the user for, uh, I mean, a guy like me who is a regular user, I will probably test positive for cannabis for 45 days after I stop. I mean, so how do you know if that positive cannabis test was, was from the time period during your event and you can't? And that is one of the big complexities that makes this subject so difficult for race directors or, or anybody in that field. Yeah, for sure. And specifically with, with respect to, to cannabis. So um, I, the World Anti-Doping Association does allow a certain level of cannabis uh, in the bloodstream, right? But, but once, you, once you cross that threshold, then, um, then you are potentially subject to, to ban. Now, interestingly enough, to your point, um, if you, you know, for the, for that elite level athlete, 
for in in competition in which in which uh, doping uh, is tested for, um, if you pop positive for THC, in other words, you're you know within your body the concentration is above the acceptable limit. Um, to your point, it's hard to distinguish whether or not that cannabis use was actually within competition or uh, outside of competition. Yeah, it's impossible to know. Right, but and for those athletes who can argue or demonstrate. Um, that their cannabis use was outside of competition, they can actually significantly reduce their ban. It might go from really? several years to maybe only being banned for, for a few months. Um, in fact, I believe there was a Olympic level um, a sprinter, uh, a female sprinter for whom just recently that happened. Uh, she popped positive for, uh, for THC um, and in, in, as part of this discussion, she's a, you know, she's a hundred meter sprinter, right? There's no specific yeah. performance benefit to it. She yeah. used it to help alleviate anxiety. Mm -hmm. She argued that her THC use was outside of competition. Um, and her ban was significantly, significantly reduced, but, but, you, but to your point, um, there is a significant complexity with respect to, with, yeah, re with respect to testing, uh, as well. Um, all right. I love everything about, about that conversation. I think, I think, you know, it, if anything, uh, Nate, this, this conversation should be a primer, uh, for anyone who is interested to go and do their own research, yeah. um, uh, uh, and, uh, be knowledgeable, right. Before you walk into, into a dispensary, again, important distinction. Don't, don't buy it off your friends, uh, you know, at the gym, <laughs> actually go to somewhere <laughs> in which, in which there are experts on this, um, and then, of course, keep the perspective that we are always an experiment of one. Just because uh, Nate Sandel's experience was uh, was was this doesn't necessarily mean that my experience is going to be similar. Um, um, but, but again, if if anything else, um, my hope is that this this conversation is a primer for people um, who are at least uh, casually interested and perhaps take that next step to to actually using the product in that way. Um, Nate, anything else you want to you want to mention about cannabis before we before we we finish with my three random questions? <laughs> no, I think we've talked in depth about it. Hopefully, I'm not coming across just like a stoner. I mean, that's one of my concerns. I do like to talk about it. And I mean, as you found out in that conversation we had, I am an advocate. Uh, it has been very. This is a plant that has helped me in many different fashions. It's helped me with my relationships. It's helped me be a better person, but that doesn't mean that it's going to for everybody. I mean, you know, it, it really, everybody needs, I agree with you deeply. Everybody needs to do their own research and decide whether it's right for them. Uh, if you're using Ambien or something like that to sleep, I highly encourage you to look at this as a much gentler option with much that's not physically addicting. We didn't talk about that at all. Cannabis is not physically addicting. Addicting, it is habit forming, because it makes you feel good. <laughs> I mean, anything that makes you feel good, people tend to want to do more and more. So you still have to be in a responsible and adult, a responsible adult with this. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> and 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 again, the, the the truth is that that this conversation is becoming much more mainstream. In fact, a lot of the information um, that I that I was referencing was actually from uh, an article, uh, online article from Triathlete Magazine, right? So, I mean, if Triathlete Magazine is dedicated an, an entire article to cannabis and in, and endurance sports, 
Um, you know, th- th- this is not back alley yeah. shadowy stuff anymore. Right. Um, and, and truth is, uh, you know, athletes are beginning to have these conversations with fellow athletes. Um, and, um, you know, uh, as, as they begin to kind of work through, is this a product that would be helpful to me? And if so, how do I go about, how do yeah. I go about using an, in a, in an educated and responsible way? That's what this episode, I think. Yeah. Is. And I really, I really appreciate you doing this. I mean, I had a little bit of trepidation about, about having this conversation with you because I don't, there is still some, you know, negative, uh, stigma to, to cannabis use, but like you said, that's changing. And I think. I think it's more important to try to be a resource for people that are curious about it so they don't have to rely on somebody that doesn't know that much and perhaps steers them the wrong way. Uh, uh, yeah, hundred percent. And it, but sort of last, last funny story. And then, and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap with my three random questions. So, um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad's a football coach. Um, and so I, I grew up the son of a football coach, um, from a very early age, my dad threatened my brother and I, that if he ever caught us using drugs, that we would, we would have to sleep in the garage in the, in the shed. Now our shed in our backyard was the last place in the world you ever wanted to be It was dark and there were cobwebs and bugs and it smelled. Um, so that to, for me, um, that was all the motivation that I needed, right. To keep my nose clean, uh, literally and figuratively. And so, um, that, that was the message from my father at a very early age about drugs. Well, here's the funny thing. So, um, <laughs> just as things would sort of happen, um, both my parents now, uh, use CBD. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, right. Fast forward 40, 50 years later, uh, not, uh, not that my parents are using THC necessarily, but they use CBD. Um, and, uh, just, it illustrates how things have changed, I guess, I guess is my point. Um, from even just a couple of decades ago, um, mm. and, the, and the stereotype, uh, around, for instance, something like marijuana use or, or cannabis use, um, and to where we are today, where, for instance, something like CBD is, uh, it's legal and it's, it's widely available it's everywhere. Yeah. And in fact, my, you know, my, my, my parents are using the product. Um, all right, Nate, let's finish with this. Uh, this is a segment of the show I like to call three random questions. So right. I have got three random questions for you. If you would do this though, for the listener, will you confirm that you have not received these questions in advance? Yes. Okay. These are truly, these are truly. I, I, yeah, actually I'm, I'm a little nervous. So lay them on me, man. <laughs> random question number one, random question number one, Nate, these are all fun. Um, here's my first question. What's the one creature comfort you cannot do without when you're bike packing? Merino underwear. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the easy one. I'm not going on a multi-day ride with a diaper. God, do I hate those things. I discovered Merino underwear and it changed my world, man. If I, it's, that's the one you got to wear Merino underwear. It's the best. <laughs> so, so you don't wear bib shorts or you don't, nope. you don't, you don't wear bike shorts. Nope. Did 660 mile ride last year. I don't, I have, I don't even have any in my drawers anymore. I know it sounds weird, but it's the right seat, the right angle. And, uh, for me, I've, I've never had any chafing problems since I switched to Merino underwear. Well, you must, you must have some massive <laughs> calluses on your ass then, if, that, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you, you got, everyone I've, everyone I've, I've converted has been like, holy crap. I didn't know you didn't have to wear chamois. <laughs> uh, random question. Number two, uh, uh, Nate, who you got 
Evil Knievel or Robbie Knievel? Oh, evil. <laughs> Is that a question? Poor Robbie well, just passed away, but evil, man. Did. He definitely did. evil well well it, well it sort of is a question i mean it, you know interestingly enough um you know for you and i who are about the same age uh you know evil knievel uh came came to prominence was and was doing all these things you know when we were really very very young e uh, robbie knievel is more of our contemporary and so um you know most of his exploits robbie's exploits um, happened when we were in our formative uh, years. So that I mean, I asked you that. Obviously, you're in you're in mo you're in motorsports. Uh, I'm sure you probably follow both their their careers. But why? What? what why? Easy. Why, easy. Why evil versus Robbie? Totally easy. There's one. The, the thing that immediately comes to mind. Robbie Knievel did probably bigger jumps than than evil for sure. But he did it on modern motocross gear, modern motocross bikes. Evil did it on garbage. He did it on big, heavy Harley Sportsters and Triumphs and things that have no right jumping as far as what he did. Uh, yeah, way harder. And he's at the forefront of, of extreme sports. So he pushed the limits past what anybody thought was possible. It doesn't take anything away from the guts that Robbie had and the things that he did. But Eva was the man. All right. So plus I uh, like how belligerent he was. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, to to that point. So so great story I found on on Wikipedia. You probably know this story. I didn't necessarily know or remember the story, but Caesar's Palace jump. Yeah. Right. That that jump that evil failed. Later on, Robbie would go back and and actually complete that jump. But yeah. evil jump uh at uh, at Caesar's Palace. So so at that time, um uh he was evil was 29 years of, of age. Um, and he used his own money uh, to have uh, actor-director John Derrick produce a film of the Caesars jump, right? But to keep costs low, uh, Derrick employed his then-wife Linda Evans. Yes, that same Linda Evans. He employed his wife Linda Evans as one of the camera operators. Um, and it was Evans who actually filmed the famous landing, right? Which, which was somewhat Terrible. of a, it was a really hard landing. Mm -hmm. Now, on the morning of the jump, Knievel stopped in the casino, placed his last $100 uh, bet on the blackjack table, which he lost. Uh, he stopped by the bar, had a shot of wild turkey, and then he headed outside where he was joined by several <laughs> members of the Caesar staff and, and, and two showgirls, right? If that, I mean, if that doesn't yeah. epitomize evil Knievel, yeah. what does? Yeah. And I'll tell you, as a, as a side note, I agree with you. I mean, that's, you know, the grittiness that was evil is awesome. Uh, as a side note, if anybody's interested to see something that will absolutely scare the daylights out of them. Uh, I think it might've been six or seven years ago. Uh, Robbie. Oh my God. What is his last name? I, I got to remember. I think it's Madison for some reason. There's a, a guy on a dirt bike that did a jump onto the top, I think of Mandela Bay and then jumped down. And it is one of the most terrifying things you will ever see anybody do on a motorcycle. Now wait, it's Robbie Madison. I think. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't Travis Pastrana. Nope. Nope. Bobby Madison. Yeah, it was a Red Bull event, a Red Bull sponsor thing, but it was, yeah, uh, he's done, I think he's done the longest jump on a dirt bike anywhere. He's, the guy's just completely nuts. <laughs> so you, 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 you spent some time in, in, uh, in, in, in motorcycle racing. Did you ever, did you ever do that kind of, those, those kind of stunts? No, 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 no. I don't have those. I don't have the balls. <laughs> I don't, I've done some stuff that's, you know, probably pretty stupid, but that's on another level. <laughs> Fair. Uh, okay. L last, last random question for, for you, Nate. So 
Um, so you're, you're hosting a group ride and you can invite, uh, three VIPs. Okay. Now, do they have to go my pace? Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's assume that all VIPs, A, are our cyclist and B could go your pace. Okay. So even if you mm. don't know that these VIPs are cyclists, assume that any VIP that you would, that you would invite is a, a cyclist and B would be able to keep up with you. Um, now um, these guests may be known to you or they may be people you've never met. They can be real or they can be fictional characters like mm. cartoon movie characters, <laughs> book characters. Now oh, they man. can be from the present or they can be at any time in the past or future. In fact, they can be you from the past or future joining this group ride. Hmm. Who are your three special guests? You know, it's funny. The first person that popped into my mind was Ted King. Um, Ted is just, uh, he's somebody I interviewed for my podcast. Uh, and He's just a, he's a really interesting dude, uh, both from the cycling aspect and from the business side. He's one of the founders of Untapped Maple. I I don't know him that well, but my interactions with him and the time I've spent with him, I don't know why, but he popped immediately into mind because I was thinking cyclist. So let's pick him. You add an interesting twist when you say I could ride with my former self. Who doesn't? Who wouldn't want? to grab their 18 year old self by the scruff of the neck and go, Oh, let me, there's some shit you're doing that you probably need to rethink. So I'll, I'll go with a, I'll go with a 17 year old me so I can kick my ass a little bit. <laughs> and the third would be my wife. She doesn't ride with, she doesn't do this stuff. Like we, we ride occasionally, but if I was going to pick somebody to spend a lot of time with and go for a ride with it, she would absolutely be uh, the other person there. That's awesome. Um, Nate, thanks so much for sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on and talking about a subject that I guess people don't want to talk about in public too much. So often in our society, we tend to stigmatize, minimize, and marginalize that which we don't understand. But as I said, as professional endurance coaches and race directors, we have an obligation to educate ourselves. Cannabis use isn't going away. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half, Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.